Hi, I'm Anna, a young university student. And I'm Marissa, a middle-aged palliative care doctor. And it might seem like we don't have that much in common. But we're both really passionate about climate change. And we're mother and daughter. So welcome to Green Girl Talk. For today's feature focus, we are going to talk about climate activism again. Um, We had talked about uh, individual climate activists in one of our previous podcasts, Uh, but I still find it really inspiring to talk about climate activism, and to me it still sort of links back to COVID and like how much the world can accomplish when we act together and when we face crises together, so I thought it was an important topic to revisit. And I think we've each looked at uh, some really important uh, movements. Um, so do you want to tell about what you looked at, Anna? Yeah, so I looked at the Sunrise Movement, which is a youth movement in the United States. And it was founded in 2017. And their goal is to make climate change an urgent priority across America, end the corrupting influence of fossil fuel executives on politics, and elect leaders who stand up for the health and well-being of all people. So from what I interpreted from their website, it seems like they're very focused on politics mm-hmm. and electing leaders who will help against, fight against climate change and have green initiatives and stuff like that, right. which I thought was great because, I mean, we're always saying on the podcast, it's important to go out and vote. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I liked that they were kind of focused on that. And there's a lot of ways to get involved. They have a leadership program. They have something called Sunrise School. Okay. I don't know if it would normally be in person. Like, you would go and it's like an in-person workshop, but right now it's an online thing. So it's an online community to build the skills and power we need to confront the crises we face and becoming strong leaders and learning about all kinds of issues and how to tackle them. So I thought that was really great. Yeah. Um, I I don't think you have to be located in the U.S. to get involved. I don't think so I'm not sure mm-hmm. I don't see why they would say no right <laughs> like, turn you yeah, away I agree. um but the thing I also really liked about the sunrise school is that it's not completely focused on climate change obviously the whole organization is focused on climate change that's their biggest goal yeah but they also had like a workshop on the black lives matter oh, nice. and stuff about like defunding the police right um so I thought that was good yeah so some yeah. social justice mm-hmm. issues yeah um and then so right now they're very focused on the upcoming election. Yeah. Um, and they and then after the upcoming election, they are then gonna focus on winning a Green New Deal. Nice. Um, so what they said that is, in yeah. case you don't know, I didn't like right. I mean, know you hear it, it all the time, but mm-hmm. it is a congressional resolution to mobilize every aspect of American society to one hundred percent clean and renewable energy guarantee living wage jobs for anyone who needs one, and a just transition for both workers and frontline communities all in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. That sounds very good. That's a good goal. (laughs) That sounds (laughs) a little tricky, but (laughs) we'll see. Um, I have a question for you about this topic. Maybe you're going to get to it later. I don't know. But, I mean, not that youth don't have an important role to play in politics, but since you can't vote till you're 18 anyways, I don't typically associate <laughs> youth with politics. Well, um, they had something on their website that was like, oh, I'm not a youth, how can I get involved? And for them, they said not youth is 35 and up. 
So they're oh. saying 35 and under is a youth. Oh, okay. Which, I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would think maybe, like, 25 and under is a youth, but sure. whatever. Okay. Um, Very inclusive. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I don't know the exact statistics, but I, I think this was for the Canadian election that we yeah. had in last True. year. Yeah. Right? It was yeah, in November it was last 2019. Year. Yeah, you're right. Um, it said something. It's like a million yeah. years ago. Or it was the, I don't remember if it was the American or Canadian okay. election, but it said something like if every person from 18 to 25 went out and voted, they would be able to like shift the whole uh, election. But I think students don't go out and vote. Right. I, I know I had to tell a lot of my friends in yeah. November to go vote because yeah. I was in 18. Um, yeah. And obviously, if I could have voted, I would have gone. So it's annoying to not be able to vote. Right. And then... I know people who yeah. are able to and they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really like this movement because it's encouraging youth to get involved with politics. And I think at the scale of climate change we're at right now, that's probably the biggest thing we can do. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I small agree. things are still good, but... Yeah. But we're not going to make the difference. Then. Right. You need to be part of a larger movement mm-hmm. as well. Very cool. Well, I researched um, an activist organization called Extinction Rebellion um, that I guess I had heard about a few times but didn't know a ton about. So I was very interested to learn more about them. And they started in the UK, but they're now international. It's a decentralized international nonpartisan movement that uses nonviolent action and civil disobedience to prevent persuade governments to act. Um, And so they have uh, three things that they want governments to do. And the first is to tell the truth, like specifically about climate change and fossil fuels and all that. Um, The second thing is act now to get to net zero. And initially they said by 2025, but I think they've updated it to 2030. Um, And then... uh, the third thing I thought was interesting was that they they want to encourage governments to create a citizens' assembly that's beyond politics, but the citizens' assembly would lead governments and would advise governments on climate and ecological justice issues. Um, and interestingly, in the U.S., so everywhere else in the world, they have those three demands. In the U.S., they added a fourth demand. And in the U.S., the fourth demand is to uh, prioritize vulnerable populations, indigenous people, and to work on reparations to people of color and people in mm-hmm. poverty. Um, so I thought that was good, and I don't know why that shouldn't, that, to me, that should be worldwide as well. Um, so it's interesting because the, the decentralized is something you don't see very much. It means that there's not like a, a ruling body of the organization, even though it's big and international, basically any uh, group can join um, and act autonomously. They don't need to ask for permission from someone if they want to have an Extinction Rebellion group or they want to do a demonstration. Um, so that they don't need permission. They need the only sort of criteria is that they need to adhere to the values listed on the website. And so I think there's like 10 values on the website, and I'm not going to name them all because that would take too long. Um, but what was interesting to me about the values was I used to belong to Unitarian uh, Universalist Church, 
and they also have sort of 10 values. And a lot of these are very similar <laughs> to the church that I used to belong to, which I didn't leave for any like specific reason. So it's not like I don't believe in these. But anyways, just so a few ideas, uh, a shared vision of change to create a world that's fit for generations to come would be an example of their values. Um, uh, openly challenge ourselves and our toxic system value reflection and learning, welcome everyone and every part of everyone, um, avoid blaming and shaming, nonviolence. Um, so some pretty good values there. Um, right now, I believe there are over 1,000 groups spread in 72 countries. Um, and uh, just like some current examples of things that they're doing in Israel, uh, Extinction Rebellion helped with several other activist groups to uh, make a street blockade so MPs couldn't get to the parliament where they were doing a vote to cut um, that, that would have uh, increased coal usage. And in Turkey, uh, Extinction Rebellion uh, activists have been working for over a year at a gold mining site, unfortunately a Canadian company doing the gold mining that's ruining one of the uh, environmental uh, areas around a, an important mountain. Um, in the UK last week, the Extinction Rebellion group worked to block access to printing presses owned by Rupert Murdoch because he puts out very one-sided biased news. Um, so yeah, there's lots and uh, lots of groups. Um, you can look on their website for local groups. Uh, even within Canada, there's 51 groups just in Canada, um, and there's one in Hamilton. They only have been around for two years. They started in May 2018, and they do have a youth branch as well that was started in 2019. I don't know what age they consider youth to be. Um, the one thing to know about them is they do use mass arrests as a tactic. Um, and uh, not that everybody who's in the group has to be prepared to be arrested. But, you know, you could certainly be in the group and say, like, no, that's not for me. But it is an important thing that they do, that they feel like it gets a lot of press attention and brings a lot of attention to the issues and shows their commitment and devotion to it. Um, but sort of one of the major criticisms of Extinction Rebellion as a movement or as an activist group is that like if you're using arrest as a tactic, that's fine if you're a white middle class person. Mm -hmm. But for people uh, of color or, or people who are vulnerable, um, being arrested might not be the same as a white person being arrested. So it's not really, um, you know, in theory it's all inclusive, but in practice it doesn't recognize that people are in different situations. And I mean, I think Extinction would Rebellion would say that's fine. Those people shouldn't go to events where there's going to be arrests. But it's something to keep in mind. Overall, I was quite impressed with them. So for today's tips, uh, I'm tying them into the book that's going to be reviewed in our section, uh, because one of the things that I really liked about this book was that at the end of the book, they had a whole chapter that was just tips and tricks um, in terms of uh, being more environmentally conscious and uh, helping to mitigate uh, climate change. So uh, I'm basically just going to share with you some of their tips, and there's a lot more tips in the book. 
But interestingly, the number one most important thing you can do, it says what's the most important thing you can do, is talk about climate change. And oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so we're doing it. <laughs> so we're good. But, you know, talking about climate change to everybody, everywhere, all the time, um, as much as you can. And they, again, they go into more detail about that. So it's easy to say, but there are challenges. Um, so then I was curious sort of what else they would say in terms of their tips. Um, and a lot of the tips uh, had to do with enjoying Earth how it is presently, that there's physical and mental benefits to getting outdoors. So things like going for a walk in the forest, making art outside, um, looking at bugs, going bird watching, stargazing, kayaking. Um, so lots of things that sort of would ins inspire you to... Um, be, feel more connected to the earth and the world. Um, and then they, they talk about some more active things, like once you're feeling inspired uh, by the time that you've spent outside and enjoying your time outside, some more active things you can do and, and things that we've talked about before, like running for office, um, things we haven't talked about, like becoming a farmer, which is sort <laughs> of a dream of mine. Um, and uh, I'm just going to use this segment also to give an update from one of our previous podcasts where we talked about paper, mm -hmm. and I was talking about toilet paper in that section, and I was very inspired because they talked about toilet paper made from recycled paper or from bamboo, and uh, I mean, the recycled toilet paper was really impressive. Made It's not recycled toilet paper, it's made from recycled paper. Anyways, when I went grocery shopping this week, I looked everywhere up and down for either recycled toilet paper or bamboo toilet mm -hmm. paper, and I could not find either. Oh. <laughs> I was very disappointed. So I bought regular toilet paper, and then I lost it. But that's another story. So for today's review, I am reading a book that I heard about on uh, some of the, a few of the other podcasts that we've recommended to you in the past. Um... And this book is called The Future Earth by Eric Holthauser, A Radical Vision for What's Possible in the Age of Warming. Um, and I think it just came out this year. And I guess I have very mixed feelings about this book, to be honest. Um, basically, what he does is imagine um, a very positive future for the world. And he does it sort of in decade-long increments, so like 2020 to 2030. Um, what could happen with climate change, but like in a positive way, what things mm -hmm. could we accomplish? And then 2030 to 2040 and 2040 to 2050. Um, and, you know, pretty much most of the things that he's envisioning in terms of the science and technology, like we know already, are things that we already have. And so what he's envisioning in terms of making um, the world a better place from a climate change perspective has a lot to do with people's attitudes at every level, from individuals all the way up to, you know, governments and international, and sort of the changes that could be made that would actually result in a, a livable and even better world. And he talks not just about greenhouse gases, but about social justice issues as well. Um, and so it was very positive and hopeful in that way. And I don't know if you remember in my book, Code Blue, I have like um, a little pledge that, I mean, the whole thing is sort of based on internationally, people have accepted that humans are responsible for mm -hmm. climate change. 
and are dedicated to do everything they can to stop it and to stop ecocide. And, and so he just takes that to like the finest possible detail and imagines it into the future, which should be great, except when I read it, I just ended up feeling really depressed because uh -huh. I'm like, people are never going to do this. Like governments are not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Individuals are not going to do it. I still go out every day and, you know, see people sitting in their cars with the engines running. And I'm like, I just, I guess um, it, it had a bit of the opposite effect on me. It made me feel somewhat sad and pessimistic because um, the possibility is definitely there. But I don't feel like we're going to realize it. And I know that's not a good attitude to have. And when I read about the activists, I felt much more optimistic, to be honest, than when I read about the book. Um, and like I said, the book has a nice tips and trick tips and suggestions in the back. And so that's good ends on a positive note. And I would recommend it for anybody who's interested in reading about climate change. It's definitely not very sciencey. It's easy to read. It's well written. Okay, now for the good news today. Um, so my first one is about the company Shell, which is a gas. Yeah station company right and they do a lot of oil yeah. right yeah um so this summer they launched their recharge plus program in california so basically what that is is to deploy electric vehicle charging infrastructure at commercial retail public and government locations as well as multi-unit residential dwellings across the state so mm. i thought that was really great very nice and the pumps I assume they meant the electric vehicle pumps. Yeah. They're powered from 100% renewable energy. Oh. So I thought that was pretty right. great. Yeah. But then after reading that, my first thought was, like, how quickly do these things work? Because I have a hard time believing it's just, like, filling up the tank of right. gas. Because right. I know we have an electric vehicle and yeah. it takes, a few like, hours. a few hours. Yeah. So I don't know if you would just, like, go to a gas station and then wait a few hours. I don't know. Right. Um... They didn't have any information on the specific time length. Yeah. They had it in, like, kilowatts, I think. Okay. So I'm not completely sure, but it did say that it was fast and reliable. Okay. So I'm not sure what the time would be, but it, I don't think it would be hours. Yeah. Um, and I think it's great that they're putting those at normal gas stations. And I think part of it, they also said, though, is just because people are getting more electric vehicles now and they don't want to lose business. Right, right. Um, so they're probably not doing it for the right reasons, right, but, but it's that still doesn't good. matter. That's good. Yeah, and then the other interesting thing I found about that is, yeah. so they've been working on this for a while, this idea, and I think it started in the UK. But in 2019, Shell installed their first ever US-based electric vehicle charging station, and guess where it was? Where? It was at Logan Airport in Boston, ah, Massachusetts. interesting. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my good news about Shell. Okay. And then my other good news is about McDonald's in the UK. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't do, like, UK on purpose. <laughs> it just happened. I was going to say, we might have to have a UK episode <laughs> soon. So, in the UK, McDonald's is going to begin testing a new system of reusable, returnable cups to cut back on demand for hot beverage to-go oh, containers. that's a good thing. Um, so, when I originally read that, I thought... They just meant they'd be selling reusable cups, right. and then you could bring in your own cup. Yeah. And I think with that, I think, like, Tim Hortons and Starbucks, I think you can you can buy a Right, one of their cup, cups. But then you always yeah. have to remember to bring, to bring it. bring their cup. And right. I 
I have one for Booster Juice, which yeah. is a smoothie place. Right. Um, and I never remember to bring it, or sometimes I'm just yeah. out and I'm like, oh, I want a smoothie. So right. I think it's really hard to remember to bring your cup, even if you have one. Yeah. Unless it's like, oh, I'm going to work, I and I always stop at McDonald's type right. thing. Um, so, but then I kept reading. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's not exactly what it is. It's okay. very interesting. Oh, also, just to put into perspective, 600 billion McDonald's coffee cups are produced each year around the world. So that's a lot. That's a, lot. a lot of people drink McDonald's, McDonald's coffee. coffee. I've never had it. I, I am not either. I've had their iced coffee. Right. Oh, because we have Tim Hortons. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but basically, they're using a company called Loop, and I think that's used by other okay. um, companies, not other companies, like other restaurants. Yeah. It said, oh, it was like a grocery store. True. That starts with a T. I forget. In the UK. Um, so you pay a small deposit for the cup. Yeah. And you get that plastic cup. I think you automatically get your coffee in the okay. original cup now. And you have to pay for it. Yeah. I don't know how much more it will be with the plastic cup. So then you can take the cup with you. Yeah. And then you drink your coffee or whatever. Yeah. And then you get your deposit back when you put the reusable cup into a special in-store bin or at a collection point in other participating stores uh-huh. so I think that's a really smart way of doing it because then you don't need to remember to bring your cup right. to get the coffee you just okay. get the cup right and I feel like it's easier to remember to bring something to like put it some do you know what I mean yeah I feel like so, it's easier to dispose of it than to remember to bring a reusable cup with right. you so are they recycling oh them? sorry so then <laughs> those cups are sterilized and sent back to the restaurant oh okay that's I think, I don't know if they're plastic, I assume they're plastic, because right. just imagining, like, a bin, and then people, yeah. like, throwing in ceramic cups that break, right? They break, right. So I assume yes. they're plastic cups, yeah. but I thought okay. that was really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. It would be nice if you could just bring your own cup from home, like, you know, now you have to take your mask with you everywhere you go, mm-hmm. so if you had your cup that you took with you everywhere you went, or your whatever, that wherever you went, they would just fill it up for you. That would be good. Well, I don't know. You might be able to do that. Yeah. But on the website that was telling me about the McDonald's thing, it said that, like, Starbucks has that. You can bring your own cup. And it said that very little people bring their reusable cups when they go to get stuff. Yeah. It just hasn't become a habit for people yet. But, again, if you had to have a specific cup for each place, it's not going to work. But if you can just bring your own, that works. Um, like I know at my work before COVID when I used to go to work at the little coffee shop you could bring your own mug like I kept a mug upstairs Mm -hmm. and you can just bring your own mug down and use it I'm not sure it might cost like five cents less than if you Mm -hmm. take their paper ones it reminds me because you're talking about McDonald's (laughs) that I think uh, a few episodes back in our good news we were talking about KFC having Mm -hmm. um, fake chicken and I don't know if we told our listeners that we actually tried it Uh that that, uh i I wasn't expecting it to come to canada so soon and it's here and we tried it so what's your uh, opinion i thought it was good i you can definitely taste the kfc like secret seasoning or whatever it is so i thought it was really good um i don't know how accurate it tasted like compared to chicken i haven't had chicken in a few years i guess but i liked it but i i've like most I've liked most, like, fake meat products I've tried, just because I don't really know what meat tastes tastes like anymore. anymore. Yeah, so I don't usually eat fake chicken, uh, but I thought it was very good. (laughs) I really liked it. 
Did it taste 100% like chicken? No, but it still tasted awesome. I was super impressed. Thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. And stay tuned for more.